0: And we want to continue uh, with a, a series, which I didn't thought was going to be three weeks now. It's more than that. Six weeks we're talking about Jesus Christ. And what can we talk else about than Jesus Christ? My task as a pastor, as a minister of the Word, is to bring to you Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that's what we want to do. We want to show you Christ, and we want to show our young children Jesus Christ in a world that's neglecting Him. And dare I say that, in a church that's neglecting Him, preaching all of other things, but we stay with Jesus Christ. And as you know, over the last few weeks, uh, we were looking at the names of Jesus Christ in the first chapter of John. There's seven names there, as you know. And we went through those names, and we saw the Word, we saw the light, the true light, and then the Son of God, and last week we spoke about the Lamb of God. And if you haven't listened to that, it's on on, on your website, you can go and listen, as he takes it from the Old Testament and brings it right to the New Testament, right through to the book of Revelation. Where is the Lamb? And in the book of John he says, Behold the Lamb, and in the book of Revelation, he says, worthy is the Lamb. Now today, we want to talk about the Messiah, part three, names part three. Not that we're counting, are we, Andre? No. <laughs> it doesn't matter how many parts they are. We preach Christ. So uh, let's go into the book of John, chapter one, and we're going to read about this passage from verse thirty-five. If you've got your Bibles here, I prefer you to open it here, although I've got it on the screen. You see, from early ages, they were looking for a Messiah. Messiah is somebody who's going to come as a king. Right through the ages, the, the Jewish people were looking for a Messiah. And here we find in John chapter 1, verse 35, and as I said before, as I'm reading, I'm giving you running commentary. So I might stop and explain. He says in John chapter 1 verse 35, Again the next day John stood with his two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? What are you looking for? Then Jesus turned and he asked that question. They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, teacher, where are you staying? You see, the first thing that caught my attention with this is, when John the Baptist is standing there at Betabara, he's baptizing people and already he's got disciples. You know what a disciple is? He's somebody who follows you. He's got followers. They want to listen to his message. And while standing there, he pointed to them, the Lamb of God, and the two disciples heard him speak. They follow Jesus. The first thing that I pick up out of this is, dear friends, that we should never ever attach people to ourselves. It's not about us. It's about Him. And this is something that pastors need to know. This is something that Bible study leaders need to know. But you see, what I hear these days when people preach, it is, Behold the Preacher. That's what you hear. Not behold the Lamb. It is behold me, the preacher. It's all about me. I mean, it's amazing that when I listen, and I listen to a lot of sermons, it's part of my work, I love to do it, and I listen wide. I listen to the good ones, and I also listen to the bad ones. And it's amazing that sometimes when you listen to people preach, it doesn't take even five minutes into the message and they start preaching about themselves. And then they go on telling all about themselves, how great they are, how many things they've accomplished. You see, I've got it against these things where people preach in crowds and then they make an altar call and a thousand come out. And the next day you read in some Christian magazine, we preached and, a, and you know, when this pastor came on, he preached and a thousand came out. Who's it about? It's about him. But here we find one of, one of the greatest men in the Bible, John the Baptist. He, he stands there and as soon as Jesus comes on the scene, he points his disciples to Jesus. And that's what we need to do. I'm just a signpost here. Don't follow me. I'm full of mistakes. But he is the sinless one. He's the one you can trust and follow. Oh, you say, wait a minute, what about Paul? He says, follow me. But what did he also say? As I follow Christ. Yes, he was pointing people towards Jesus Christ. Listen, when you listen to sermons, what it is about. It is all about Jesus Christ. Listen to that. And he turns them and he says... Behold the Lamb and these two people, they followed Jesus Christ. And I like these words, what do you seek? One day I want to preach this sermon. I want to preach this sermon and the sermon title should be, what do you seek? Let's continue. He says in verse 39, and he said to them, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour, and one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah which is translated the Christ. You see, there's John going again. He's writing his gospel to the Jews and the Gentiles. He explained to the people who wouldn't understand Messiah what it is, the Christ. He says, we have found the Christ, the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone or a pebble. If you read on later when Jesus comes to them and says, uh, Simon Peter, you are a pebble, but on this rock, on this petra, I will build my church, pointing towards Christ. Oh, how many people have taken that wrong? The Roman Catholic whole system took that wrong. And here we find him. He says, you will be translated a stone. You see, this is a very remarkable statement he's doing here, isn't it? Think about this. Andrew, he says, we have found the Messiah. Everybody was looking for Him through the ages, even to their day. In John chapter 4, we find Jesus, He's going to the well and He finds the woman there. And He started talking to her. And what does He say to him in verse 25? He says, we know the Messiah is coming and He will explain to us all these things. He will declare it to us. Everybody was looking for the Messiah. Messiah comes straight from the Hebrew. It was translated Messiah by the English translators out of Hebrew, but in Greek it is translated Christ, and it means the anointed one. And it was usually given to a person who was consecrated like a king or a priest, and this person had to be anointed with oil. And this was the Messiah. So he makes the statement And this is one of the great days in the life of Andrew. Think about that. They must have studied the Scriptures. Him and his brother. Can you imagine when they came together to have a cup of coffee and they sit around and started talking about the fishing industry because that was what he was in. And then eventually that conversation moved away from the fishing industry and the share prices and so on. And he comes over to talking about the Scriptures. You see, these Jewish boys, when they grew up, up to the age of 12 years old, they had to study the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They had to study the prophets. And they read the prophets. And no doubt, I think in my mind, if it captivated them so much, at one stage, they had to sit down and started talking about a prophecy in the Old Testament about the Messiah. Right through the ages, the people were looking for the Messiah. Why? Because, like I said, it is normally a king or a priest who is anointed. And at this current time, these people were under the Roman yoke. And they were looking for a Savior. They were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for an anointed king to take them out under this. And they were sitting around smelling like fish or just washed up, I don't know, but they were sitting around and discussing the Messiah or talking about the Holy One. Can you imagine being part of that conversation year after year and all of a sudden, out of the blue, he comes to his Peter. He comes in and says, Peter, we have found the Messiah. Now you know I get excited, don't you? But can you imagine... Andrew has been with Jesus the whole day, the Bible says. And now he's on his way walking home. I don't know about you, but it happens to me sometimes. If I've got really great news to tell to Toki, man, that, that road is too long for me. And you can't go over the speed limit, can you? I don't want to have a fine. But can you imagine? Here he's... Andrew on his way walking home and he goes, man, I've got to tell my brother there were no Apple iPhones in those days, okay? There were no Nokia phones, so if you want to go back, there were nothing like that. He spent the whole day he's on his way to his brother. He walks in and it's not, high brother, did he? as he walks in he goes, we found the Messiah. We found Him. Can you, can you experience the excitement in Him? One of His greatest days. Now, the thing is, what made Andrew so sure this is the Messiah? Have you ever thought about that? What made him so sure? He spent with him a lot of time. He walked with him when he saw what he was staying. He remained with him until the tenth hour. Is it what Jesus said? Is it what he perceived? You see, when he walked in with Jesus... He was hanging around John the Baptist. He saw the Lamb. He spent time with the Lamb. Now he tells his brother about the Lamb, who's the Messiah. What is it? And this is the other thing. What made Peter to grab onto that so quickly? Why didn't he say, no, no, wait a minute. Just take it with a grain of salt. Just calm down. Why did Peter immediately say, and he brought him to Jesus... Now, when Jesus looked at him, so Peter was in. He didn't say, no, 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 wait. No, no, he was in. As, as soon as his brother said to him, this is the Messiah, he says, let's go. I'm there. And yes, another fascinating thing about ministry and about winning souls. When Andrew came to the Messiah, where did he go first? He went to his own family, didn't he? How much did it cost him? Nothing. A breath. Whilst he's in a hurry to get to his brother, we found the Messiah. Peter, get excited about it. And he did. Now, what was it that Simon Peter understood about this statement? What made him go, this really intrigues me, I want to go and see. You see, we'll have to go to the Old Testament to understand how these boys operated. Don't you love the whole Bible? You see, the Bible is in two parts. The Old Testament, Old Testament just means it's a, a covenant with God, and the New Testament, the new covenant with God. And the one conceals the other. I've said it so many times, but I'm going to compete, repeat it again. The Old Testament is, is concealed. The New Testament is revealed. So for us to understand why these brothers goes on like this, we need to go to and prophecy in the Old Testament. And there's only one prophet who used the name Messiah in the Old Testament, and his name is Daniel. So let's go to Daniel the prophet. And we're going to come now to a very interesting, one of the most favorite prophecies in the Bible. Now I'm going to say it outright, I don't declare that I am the final scholar on this. But there are many people who's wrote many books about this. And what I'm going to show you today is not my work. It's it's the work which the Holy Spirit opened up to many of these scholars, which when we read it, we see that it is a prophecy revealed unto our day. Daniel chapter 9. Let's go there. It says in verse 20. We find some fascinating things in running commentary, which I'll give you out of this passage. He says in verse 20, Now while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering, And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. You see, he says, while I was speaking, this man was a praying man. You and I need to be praying men and women. What was he praying for? He was praying and confessing his sin. He says, Father, in those days he confessed his sin. Not only that, he confessed for the sin of his people. We find another man in the Bible, the same kind of man, by the name of Job. What did Job do? He put supplications in before God for his children. Every day. Now, I like this. He says, while I was speaking while he was praying. Listen, if only you walk out of this place today and find the power in prayer, that is fantastic. Daniel cries his heart out to God for his sin and for the people's sin and for the mountain of God and says, yes, you see how he repeats it while I was speaking in prayer, while the man Gabriel came. And what did he do? He was caused to fly swiftly. He's caused to fly quickly. What do we learn about prayer in this passage? This, dear friend, that when you start to pray, God hears you immediately. Think about this. His answer might take a little bit longer, but He hears you. He hears you. You look at me very sceptical. Open up in your Bible. It's not, unique. it just came to my mind. Let's open up there. Go to 1 John chapter 5. That is Old Testament, you might say, but pastor, you're this morning in the Old Testament. Yes, I am, because I love the Old Testament, but I also love the New Testament. Go to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 in your Bible. I love it. There's only one thing that turns God's ear away from him, and that is in Isaiah chapter 59. You can read that on your own. He says, but your sins has built this wall between you and me that my arms are ready and my ears are ready to hear, but I cannot yell because of your sin. So God is holding back. But here we see that while he was still speaking, we see the angel flying swiftly because he hears that prayer. Look at this now in 1 John chapter 5 verse 14. He says, now this is the confidence that we have in Him. In who? In Him, in God. This is the confidence we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, what is happening? He hears us. He hears us. So, you know, I've I've dealt with people over the time who says, I pray, but it feels as if my prayers are hitting the roof. It feels that God is not hearing you. Hear this. He is hearing you. And he continues on and he says, and if we know that he hears us, what happens? Whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Do you know that God fulfills his petitions that you ask of him? Do you know that? Come on, how sure are you about that? I want biblical proof. Would you like to have biblical proof? Yes, of course. Go with me to Psalm chapter 20. Psalm chapter 20. Uh, John says here that we know that whatever we ask, we have a petition with God. But John, you know, where do you get this? Well, guess what? John read the Psalms. This is not something he's just pulling out of his thumb. No, no, no. Let's go to Psalm chapter 20 and look at verse 5. We're going to start reading from verse 4. Psalm 20 verse 4. He says, may He grant you according to your heart's desire. You see that? And fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation and in the name of your God we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. See that? So yes, as Daniel experienced it right here, he said while I was speaking, praying and confessing, while doing that the angel came and he visited me. And what did he say? He said to him, I will give you skill to understand. There's another thing, a second thing I want to point out to you, which you might or might not have noticed. He says he reached me about the time of the evening offering. The evening offering for the Jews was a time where they meditated, a time where they worshipped God. It was the last time before that, and they would sit down. It is at this time that the angel came to Him and visited Him. You say, what is so significant about that? I want to suggest to you that this is a prophecy that pointed towards the time that Jesus would have died and blow out His final breath. When did He do that? He was put on the cross at six, and, uh, at the sixth hour and He breathed His last breath at the ninth hour at the evening prayer at the evening offering. It's an amazing if you start making these connections with one another. The other thing about him is that he, at this point in time for these people, they, remember, they, they were in captivity. They couldn't offer. They couldn't sacrifice. So what does Daniel do? Is he sitting on a rock and go, Oh, you know, Lord, we can't serve you. We can't worship you. We can't do this, Lord, because we haven't got a church to go to. No, no. No, no, no. He says, well, there's no temple. I can't bring sacrifices. We're sitting under these Babylonians and these people. We can't do that. So what does he do? He puts himself as an offering. He goes at the ninth hour. Although there's no place, he still holds the traditions and and the institutions that God has put in place. Psalm 141 verse 1, he says, Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be said before you as an incense. The lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So uh, let's continue. In verse 23, he says, And at the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. I think think even Daniel was surprised with the swiftness on the answer of his prayer. He says, When your supplications started going out, already, already a command went out for me to come and to come and prepare you. Now, let's get into the prophecy. Verse 24. Everybody knows this prophecy, don't you? He says, Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish transgression, to make an end of sin, to make a reconciliation of iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Seventy weeks. Seventy weeks and determined for your people and your holy city. Now, seventy weeks in in, in the biblical terms, that word weeks there means sevens. So what he's saying is seventy times seven, it's four hundred and ninety years, if we play a little bit of math here. Four hundred and ninety years. For what? Was determined for your people as a punishment. That's why the Jewish people or the Hebrew people were taken into captivity. Now, what did they do wrong? Well, as you know, the Lord gave them Sabbaths to uphold. When God created the earth, He made it seven days. Six days you work, the seventh day you rest. It's a Sabbath day. And God instituted it for His people as well. When the nation started, He says that they need to keep every Sabbath there were years of Sabbaths as well. So for seven years, they were allowed to plow the land, to put in and to, to reap and to sow. But on the seventh year, they were not allowed. They had to leave the land for one year to recover, and then the next year they start again for six years. Do you think they did that? No. No, they started thinking, wait a minute, why do we have to have that one year for the land to rest? No, no, let's keep on sowing. Nothing's happening. And after they did the first one, the second one followed. And after the second one, it, it just continued on. Not only did they have that, but they also had a Sabbath every 50th year, which was called a Jubilee. The 50th year Jubilee. And the nation didn't keep that. You see, there's one thing that you and I need to learn today, and that is if God gives us an instruction, we follow it. Because there's consequences, consequences for sin and for disobedience. And here now, he turns to them and he says, it is for your people and for your holy city. This points towards the Jews, dear friend. We do not believe that we've replaced Israel. We're not into replacement theology. God has still got a plan for his people. And he's still using them. And this is one of those scripture verses that points towards that. There's a penalty upon them. God let them, allowed for other nations to take them into captivity for 490 years. They will pay for their sins. Who do you think you and I are to miss that? If God will punish his own people, what about us? Listen, friend, if you sin, there's consequences. And God will set out the plan for that consequences, which He did here. We can't escape that. Now, 7490 years for what? To finish all these things, transgression, end of sin, make reconciliation, everlasting righteousness, seal up the vision and prayer of prophecy, and anoint the Most Holy. So He gives them... He gives Daniel this four hundred and ninety years. Now he's digging deeper. Look at verse twenty-five. He says, No, therefore, understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. Now remember again, this is what? Andrew and Peter was looking at. This is what the disciples were looking at. The Jewish people were looking at this. They were looking at the restoration of the temple and the Messiah. And when Andrew and John was living, the temple was rebuilt. That already happened. So the first part came to fruition, but the second one, they were still waiting. Now they wait for the Messiah. The prince to come. They've got the temple. Now they need this king to take them out in a war under the Romans. This is what they were waiting for. But for Daniel, this was fascinating news. Why? Because there's two things, two trigger points here. The first one is the command to start building it. From there to the Messiah, the Lord prophesied. He says there's seven and 62 weeks, which makes 69, and it adds up to 483 years. Remember, a week is seven. So there's 62 sevens, and it makes up 69. From the command, that triggers the first one. And this happened in, in Nehemiah chapter 2. It was 445 BC, when Exerces, did I say that right? Artaxerces, He gave the command to the people and says, you are allowed to go and rebuild the temple and the city. You see, God is meticulous. And the fascinating thing is, that from that command when it came out, it took seven times seven weeks. He says it there, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. He broke it up in two for six, seven times seven weeks, it took them 49 years to rebuild Jerusalem in really difficult times. Just as soon as they started building, there comes all these other people and they ransack them and they start building again. 49 years. And everything was restored. Then it took another 434 years for what to happen. Dear friends, this is an amazing thing. This makes you believe even more that the Word of God is true. Look at this. From that command that went out in that time till the Messiah in John chapter 12 verse 13 rode in on a donkey and palm trees was laid out before him. What did they sing? They sing Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. But here we've got Andrew who can call Peter before this happened, and he says, Peter, we found the Messiah, it's Him, the Anointed One, the King. And later on, they're going to see Him ride on on a donkey into the city. Again, they wanted to have the King that's going to help them out of the war. You see, when Andrew came to Peter, he might have known that he's the Messiah, but he didn't know that he was God. He didn't know there was God with us. He only saw the Messiah, the Anointed One. And here he comes in. It's it's meticulous. It's fantastic. Now, I don't know whether you're a mathematician, but if you make the math here, there's something which excites me. Because it ain't finished, friends. It's only starting. And you and I are living in the end of this. I've heard somebody said one time, way back again, they said, Oh, if I could only live in the times of Paul, it would have been great, wouldn't it, to sit under Paul's preaching. No, no, no. I want to live right now. Because, friend, for you and for me, it's been revealed. And we are seeing these things coming to pass. Look at this. We've got 483 years. But... In verse 24, the angel came and he said there will be 490 years. You remember that? So the math is really easy. You take 490 or 483 and you've got minus 7 years. Israel, listen to this, Israel still owes God 7 years. We are waiting for that. You and I are waiting for that. And look, look. We are not spiritual Israel. This is the nation of Israel. This is when you open up your book of Revelation and you read about the 144 witnesses. Those boys are Jews. Each one of them, they are not Jehovah witnesses. They are Jews. God is not finished with His people. And it better be you and I bless them than curse them. Because there's a word in the Word of God that says if you curse them, you will be cursed. Listen to me very carefully. We need to pray for the Jews. I love them. I don't agree with a lot of things that they do, but I love the nation of God. And, and by the way, you and I are grafted into them. So if you talk bad about them, you talk bad about yourself. But we're not spiritual Israel. Israel. There's seven years there, and I get excited about it, friend, because those seven years are still coming. You say, how does it work? Go to the next verse. Uh, This is, and after these 62 weeks, this is not verse 23, it's verse 26. Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, he says, and after... The 62 weeks. After that happened, after this happened, what will happen? He came in on his donkey. It was exactly the same day. That's how how, how meticulous it was. After this happened, Messiah shall be cut off. Where did that happen? Where was the Messiah cut off? And, yes, when He was crucified in that city. That is the cross. He shall be cut off. But not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolation are determined. Now look at this. There's another math for you. You remember the 483 years? It's from the commandment came out and Jesus Christ came into the city and it was cut off for years. And you remember the seven years that they still owe him? The minute that he was cut off and his people turned their back on him, the prophetic clock stopped. And I thank God that the clock stopped. You want to know why? Because we are living in a dispensation of grace. This is also called the church age. You and I, I want to show you something else. Go in your Bible now. It's not on the board to Isaiah chapter 61. While you go there, I want you to put your finger into Luke chapter 4. Isaiah chapter 61. You see, the Bible is so fantastic that it completes itself. It doesn't need me to complete it. (laughs) It doesn't need a clever scholar to complete it. I find it fascinating over the years and the ages that... You know, people read more, and the more we read, the more understanding we get through the Spirit. Luke chapter 4 and Isaiah chapter 61, talking about a dispensation of grace, the church age. Look at Isaiah chapter 61, he says, And the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is a prophecy. It's a prophecy about Jesus. Now look at this now. He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. You see? Just look at me for a minute. Peter, we found the Messiah. What is Messiah? The anointed one. Here is Jesus Christ, and I'm going to show that to you in a minute. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Look, He wasn't anointed like all the other kings with oil. He was anointed by the Spirit of God. You say, where did it happen? When He was baptized. You remember? Remember? There was witnesses who say, we saw the Spirit of God coming like a dove, it wasn't a dove, like a dove down upon him. And at that point, the heavens opened and he says, behold my son, whom I'm well pleased in. You see, and here he says it in this, he says in verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to do what? To preach good tidings to the poor, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of a vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And then he continues on. I want you to look clearly into verse 2. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God. Now look at me. There's two things in that verse. The acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance. Two things. Flick over now to Luke chapter 4. Look at verse 17. I'm going to read from verse 16 because now we're talking about Jesus Christ Himself. The Messiah. The Anointed One. So in verse 16, Luke chapter 4, 16, He says, So He came to Nazareth, and where he had been brought up. And he was custom. As the custom was, he went into the synagogue of, on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And see what happens now. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. We were just there now. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now, I just want to explain something to you. Chapter verses and divisions came in later, not in Jesus' day. When they gave him the book of Isaiah, it wasn't a book like this, it was a scroll, which was written down, a long scroll, two sticks on the end. You you saw that. And he had to open it up and not go, okay, everybody, I'm going to read out of chapter 16. No, no, no. He had to roll open the scroll and look through with his eyes. So what am I trying to tell you? He meticulously, I love to use that word because that's what God do. He meticulously picked this passage. He just didn't go, I'm going to read from the top right. No, no, no. He opened it up because he purposely that day wanted to read what you're going to hear now, which we already heard. He says it here. Look at this. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He takes it because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed. Now look at this, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Now remember in Isaiah chapter 60 verse 2, there were two things that you remember, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and secondly, the day of the vengeance of our God. Friends, you and I are living in the dispensation of grace. That is in this passage before that 483 in this last seven years. When you see this last seven years, you see where this world has been rolled up and come to an end. It's coming. It ain't going to last forever. The coming of our Lord is so close. His coming is near. There are so many things in this Bible that He gives us as signs and as posts for us to know. Do you think the world knows this? Do you think you're going to go into your workplace tomorrow and stand up there and talk about these things? They're going to laugh at you in your face. You know what surprised me? When you preach this in the church these days, they laugh at you in your face. The church is asleep. Because the spirit of the world has entered into the church. That is why the world reject him and the church reject him. But I'm telling you, today, according to the prophecy in Daniel 9, the Messiah has come. It fulfilled prophecy, and the last seven years will still come. You say, now when is that clock going to start to tick again? The answer is right there in that verse. He says it right there. He says, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now I know, the scholars already said, and it's true, that, that that Herod did come and destroy the city. He did come, and that's why there's no temple now. But that was only a foreshadow of the Antichrist coming, and friends, he's already here. It's, he's already coming. And when he's going to walk in, look, the trigger point is going to be the peace with Israel. The man who can bring peace in the Middle East, will be the man that everybody will, will hail as the Christ, the Antichrist instead of Christ. And the moment that starts to happen with that peace treaty, the prophetic clock for the last seven years will start to tick again. What's your news? It's all falling in place. You say, do I have to get afraid of this? No, no, no. This he said, make sure that you are safe and you know the Master. That's all you need to do. God doesn't need you to kick off the the last seven years. He doesn't need you to start it. No, no. All He asks of you is to accept His Son and to make disciples. Is that a difficult work? No, He made it easy for you. Well, He gave you the Holy Spirit to help you. 490 years, that's the completion thereof. You say, why did the Messiah come then? Why did he come? Why did we need a Messiah? Why do we say when when Andrew came and said we found the Messiah? Listen, is to do the work that is explained in those verses that I just gave you. The work of the church today is to walk in the footsteps of the Messiah. And what is those footsteps? We need to preach the gospel to the poor. It ain't the church's business to be in politics. I think I've said that too fast. I'm going to repeat it again. Because it's only sinking in now. It ain't the church's work to be in politics. And it ain't the church's business to be in business. How many times do you get people coming around and they say, oh, we need to set up the church like a business. Now you don't have pastors and elders anymore. You've got directors of the music, directors of preaching, directors of this and that. Don't get me started on that. That ain't the church's business. The church's business is right here. What the Messiah came to institute is to preach the gospel to the poor. Look, it ain't the church's business to take on Islam. God will sort them out in the end times. It's not our work. Jesus didn't tell me to take a placard and started walking around. He says, make disciples. Well, you can believe what you believe, that's what I believe. And that's what I believe is in the word. He says it right there. I don't read anywhere in this passage. Listen to what's the next thing. Are we doing it? Are we doing? Are we preaching the gospel? Oh, we preaching nonsense. He says the next thing. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. That's your work. That's your work as a church. No, you can't. You can't heal the brokenhearted. But you can take them to the healer of the brokenhearted, can't you? His name is Jesus. And then he goes on, he says, to proclaim liberty to the captives. What does the gospel do when you preach it? It proclaims liberty to the captives. The gospel breaks yokes, breaks chains. It breaks it to recovery of sight to the blind. Once I was blind, but now I can see. That's my song. I was blind, now I can see. And how did I get the sight? Somebody... Preach the gospel to me. And now I can see. You see, that's our work. Set at liberty those who are oppressed. That is what the Messiah came to do. He came to die on the cross, not for himself, it says, but he came for us to fulfill that. He came not for himself, to put this in perspective, and into context for his people. You remember when he came for his own, but his own rejected him? He came for his people, that's why it says, not for himself. He came for, to finish transgression. What transgression was that? To finish their transgression, which they did against God, not holding the Sabbaths. And listen to this now. I want you to listen clearly. I observe Jesus Christ as my Sabbath. You know, some people come to me and say, you, and, and this is honestly, it happened to me in New Zealand. I went to a, a, a church because we were looking at a hall to rent a hall because they have church on Saturdays. Seven day Adventist. And I thought, look, it's a fantastic opportunity. We'll take the church on a Sunday. It's empty. We'll go and preach on a Sunday. They can preach on a Saturday. And as I met this man and we were walking through and he showed me all the facilities, he started having a go at me. He says, You know that you're going straight to hell and I thought, Whoa, that is the eye opener. He says, Because you preach on Sundays. I said, whoa, I'm feeling convicted straight away. You know, shall I bend down now and pray and what shall I do? And then he went on about the Sabbath. And then he asked me, do you believe in the rapture? I said, of course I believe in the rapture. You're going to hell. I thought, that's two accounts now. Man, I better, I better repent now. And then he started giving me a whole lecture about the rapture. And I go, yeah, I believe in the rapture. But it was the Sabbath. You see, the thing is, For them the Sabbath is a day, but for me the Sabbath is Christ. And when He says to come and finish transgression, look, it's not about that seventh day, Israel, it's about Him. He came. To show you that he's the Sabbath. You remember him walking through and his disciples started taking grain and as they walked they they shift the grain and these Pharisees came and they said look, look, your disciples are working on the Sabbath and he told them that Sabbath wasn't made for man. Man was made for Sabbath. Did you you that passage there? He explained to them, I'm he. I came to finish transgression. So that the only transgression is if you reject him. He came to the end of sins and praise God for that. Last week we saw the lamb that was slain for your sins. It's the same. He make reconciliation for your iniquities, the everlasting righteousness. Now I like this passage here, to seal up the vision and prophecy. Which vision? This vision. That Gabriel is giving him now, but he also sealed up what? Prophecy. Because in Hebrews chapter 1 says, In times of old, God spoke to the fathers through whom? The prophets. But in verse 2, he says, But these days, he speaks to us through whom? His Son. Jesus Christ sealed our prophecy. That's why I say, and I will continue saying, I do not believe if somebody all of a sudden jumps up and say, thus says, thus here is the Lord, and it goes on in a tangent about all the things happening around the world. And I go, should we add it now to the Bible or what? But the Bible says that He sealed up prophecy. The last prophet was John the Baptist. And Jesus, after John the Baptist, sealed it up. So that's what he did. That's what the Messiah came to do. Andrew still was looking for the king that will take them out of bondage. Verse 27, Then he shall, come, uh, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. This is the Antichrist. This is kicking off that last. The prophetic clock starts ticking from this covenant that's been made. But, everybody knows what but means. A sharp contrast. He will make that covenant, that peace, with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring it to an end to sacrifice an offering, and on the wing of its abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which determined is poured out in the desolate. The clock will start at that covenant for the last seven years. And friends, that's close. That's close. They are shooting so many missiles over there now, they wanna, everybody wants to wipe off Israel, but they will realize to have peace in the Middle East is to have peace with Israel. And somebody will stand up and the world will cheer him. You see, he will win Nobel Prize winner of what, that he will be the guy and everybody will fall down. And I don't believe it's Donald Trump, by the way. I'll just leave that one there for a minute. But, but there is one who's coming who is going to make peace and they're going to sign these treaties and I can imagine how the world's media, CNN, Fox and whoever in and ends they are not M&M because we eat those but all of those will come and they will have a look into these things and the cameras will be there, and they will have gold pins and it will be the thing but if that day happens my friend be cheerful be glad for the last seven years Our Savior has come. Now, he says, we found the Messiah. And I want to finish with this. I want you to think this week about this. They were looking for anointed, the king who will lead them to victory over the Romans, into prosperity. They found the Messiah, but they didn't know he was God. It's only later on in Matthew chapter 16, we see Simon Peter, the same Simon, the same Simon, answering When Jesus turned to him, he says, who do the people say I am? And and he said, the people say you're a prophet. He says, but who do you say I am? And he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. They realized he is God. He was Messiah, not to come as a king to take them out. He was Messiah, a different king. They realized he was God. That's why Peter said, no, you will not go and die. He was still thinking in that frame of mind of a king. He, I'm, I'm defending my king. He didn't understand that he had to die. That is, that is why he came. My question to you before we pray is, we do the same thing sometimes. We see him as our deliverer out of a spot of bother. We come in a difficult situation and, oh, then we want the Messiah. Come, Messiah, come help me out of this. You know what you're calling? You call for the king to take you out of the war. Rather than calling on him as the Messiah who will take you out under the yoke and the bondage of sin to have an end of transgression, to have the everlasting righteousness. That is the one. That is the Messiah that I'm seeking for. Have you found the Messiah? Not the Messiah that Peter and Andrew was thinking. Have you found the real Messiah? You see, this is this is why I can keep on. When I started with these names, I thought, Lord, honestly, I didn't have a plan. I'm honest with you today. I want to follow the Spirit of God. Listen, even if I say these words in, 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 the, in, in the Correctness Church today, they will listen to this over the tape. They'll go, this guy hasn't got a plan. Yes, I haven't. I've got God's plan. And the more I study these names of Christ in the first chapter, you know what He does? It builds my faith. It builds my faith. Because I know I've got the true light. And I understand that. I understand the Word, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the Messiah. Now next week we will look at Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. What does that mean? I hope you understand today what the Messiah means. The one who came and did those things. If if not, go back to that verse and read it. He's the Messiah who came. Not only to take you out of your... Look, if He sets your heart right and, and He saves your soul, the spot of bother is not a spot anymore. It's a bit. You understand what a bit is? A small bit. So may God bless you this morning. Let's pray.